Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, everybody, and thank you for choosing King Jordan Radio Season 3. This is King Jordan you're listening to on a, a uh, excuse, let me get the date here. It is the uh, 7th of October, 2014. Tonight, we're going to have um, the author of uh, the book, WrestleMania uh, 30 Years, uh, he'll join us at the 8.15 hour. But in the meantime, let me uh, introduce uh, some of our guests. Guest number one is from Chicago. He also does have the book, and uh, he's our wrestling insider, and he joins us now. Good evening, JJ, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Hey, King. Great to be on. As you mentioned, yes, I do have uh, Brian Shields' 30 Years of WrestleMania. It's a phenomenal book. I haven't been able to put it down yet. It's just so great. So many stuff to discuss, so I can't wait uh, to talk about the book. But as always, uh, lots to talk about, especially a huge surprise that took place on Monday Night Raw yesterday. So can't wait to get into it. No question about it. Uh, let's see if we have uh, either Blackjack or Mr. Dominic. Let's go over to line three. Line three uh, is open. Dominic, are you there? Okay. Let's try another connection. That could be possibly Dominic. Line four. Is this Dominic? Brother King. Brother JJ. Oh, oh. look who it is. Brother Blackjack. My brother. Welcome back. Very good, very good. How are you? Are you in New York? So far, so good. Lots of talk about TNA. Okay. that. But, uh, yes, uh, are you in uh, New York, Mr. Brown? No, I'm back in uh, Detroit uh, for the moment, and uh, we're ready to dig into some stuff with uh, Brian Shields, it looks like, uh, and the book. Uh, and um, I hear it's an awesome read, just like the uh, the other two. So we'll, we'll get into that later. And just like okay. uh, one of JJ said, major surprise last night on Raw. It took me by surprise as well. Oh yeah, yeah, the Rock. It's great, great to have you, Blackjack, because I just found your article in the Sun Times. Uh, uh, this past Sunday. I missed you, man. I haven't seen your article in the last few weeks. It was really great 
to see your article uh, in the Chicago Sunday Times this past Sunday and what you discussed about Brock Lesnar as champion. So it was great to read. Definitely. Uh, the paper in Chicago it, it was, it's still great by all aspects, but, uh, you know, they don't um, look at uh, wrestling as number one, you know, so uh, they put it in when they can, you know, so I appreciate it when they, when they do run the article. Yeah, me too. And uh, speaking of that Raw yesterday, that was uh, that was one of the good Raws I've seen in a while. They, uh, I tell you, Rock came out of nowhere. And Dean Ambrose, to, if if you're from New York like myself, a black Jack. Well, that's how you got to do probably... it. The ultimate surprise. You got to have the ultimate surprise. I mean, uh, if you w- would have been expecting that, this was a last minute uh, situation, you know. So, which worked out uh, for WWE. I mean, uh, what was going on before then? I would have normally turned it for some reason. Now, I didn't really want to see the midgets, you know. I mean, nothing against Holder and Kathy Lee. I love them, but that was no yeah. place for them last yeah. night, you know. Uh, I don't know. This, this wrestling, the way it's been going, uh, it's, it's it's amazing. Uh, I totally I agree with I'm, you. What I'm accustomed to. Uh, JJ, what was your thoughts on uh, what they're doing with Dean Ambrose? Oh, well, I got to say the one thing that WWE is doing right is what they're doing with the three members of S.H.I.E.L.D., or formerly known as S.H.I.E.L.D., with Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, and especially Dean Ambrose. I love the way they've been developing this guy now that he's a solo star. I love the fact that he is sort of anti-authority, but unlike when Roman Reigns was in the same position before he got hurt, he was tag-teaming with Cena. It's like they were best buddies. But that wasn't the case with Dean Ambrose. With Dean Ambrose, He's very in your face with Cena. He's like, we're not friends, and we're not going to be friends. And they both want to get their hands on Seth Rollins, and they'll do anything, including beat the hell out of each other to get to Seth Rollins. So I like the fact that Dean Ambrose is staying away from being, you know, Cena's buddy, because I think that would hurt hurt him, and a lot of fans might turn on him, because we were all worried the fans might turn on Roman Reigns. But that's not going to be the case with Dean Ambrose. The WWE is using him right. They have him where he's not buddy-buddy with Cena. In fact, they're going to face each other at Hell in a Cell, and they're going to have a match where Dean Ambrose will take on John Cena, and the winner of that match will get their hands on Seth Rollins inside Hell in a Cell. So what they're doing with Dean Ambrose, I'm really liking it. They're making him a lot of fun to watch. He's unpredictable. You never know what Dean Ambrose is going to do. He really lives up to that nickname of being a lunatic and on the fringe. He's just, he really is the unstable guy that you have to see uh, in the WWE right now. And that's what they need. They need more superstars that are must see. And Dean Ambrose is definitely one of those stars. Okay. Uh, let me see. I think now we have Mr. Dominic Valente. Let's see. Uh, Dominic, the line is open. Are you with us? This King. King, you there? Hey, okay. How you doing, okay, bro? Okay, you're on the Jack Brown, uh, JJ, and in, in about five minutes or so, uh, you'll be joined with Brian Shields, the author of uh, WrestleMania 30, and JJ, what other book did he put in? Of course, JJ. 
What's up, Dominic? Great to have the gang back together. Everyone's uh, back, so that's awesome, especially Brian Shoup coming up. His other book was the WWE Encyclopedia book. Brother Dominic, how are you, brother? Bro, how are you? Okay. Good. If anybody's near the computer, just do me a favor and mute it because what happens is it echoes. Okay, I was trying to play uh, the cut of The Rock, so let's let's listen to The Rock. Right now, we need you to do two things that know your role. a.m., The Rock gets up, rolls out of bed. Rolls out of bed in his home in Florida. The Rock gets a little caffeine. He goes right to the gym, starts clanging and banging like a madman. Then The Rock got on a jet, and he flew. The Rock flew to one place, and that place was the Big Apple. Then The Rock jumped on the four train and headed and headed right to the Bronx so The Rock can get out. The Rock, The Rock went to the Bronx so he could get out and show respect to the captain and say, Derek Jeter! And then after he said Derek Jeter, The Rock had one last borough to go to. The Rock crossed a certain iconic bridge. Then The Rock went down Atlantic Avenue. And then The Rock drove right up to the Barclays Center. Then The Rock walked through those doors, walked down that ramp, got in the middle of this ring, the people's ring, in front of the millions of The Rock's fans, so The Rock can proudly say, finally, The Rock has come back to Brooklyn! Electrifying! you American piece of garbage. This is your last warning. Leave now or I will crush you. Is that what you think? You think you're just going to crush the rock? 
It doesn't matter what you think. Enough. Just like the great Vladimir Putin once said, the comrade wolf knows whom to eat. And right now, Rusev is hungry. And just like the great Jay-Z once said, allow me to reintroduce myself. I am the jabroni beating, pie eating, trail blazing, eyebrow raising, talking is done, you're out of your class, no sleep till Brooklyn, the rock whoops your ass. Publishing. 
And it's an over 220-page behind-the-scenes look at the matches and the history of WrestleMania. And uh, when did it come out? It came out on September 15th. It's in stores now, and it can be purchased wherever books are sold. Okay, and uh, let me go over to JJ, who did uh, buy the book. And uh, JJ, did you fill us in about uh, uh, how you like it and what that uh, with the book? Like I was uh, saying earlier, uh, Brian, what a phenomenal job. I mean, I haven't been able to put this book down since I purchased it. One thing that I noticed right off the bat is that it has these gold-plated pages, which is just really beautiful. It just adds uh, a level level of detail, which is just really great. But uh, even uh, for those who do have a book, uh, what's cool is it even comes with a free bookmark. And I believe there are at least five bookmarks that uh, are featured in the books. The one bookmark that I got, which I'm very grateful for, is the WrestleMania 12 uh, bookmark between Shawn Michaels and, of course, my guy, Brett the Hitman Hart, the Iron Man match. I was really thrilled uh, that I got that specific bookmark. But others were uh, included The Undertaker, Macho Man, and uh, Hulk Hogan. And it's just really phenomenal. I mean, they cover so much in this book, as well as, of course, Shawn Michaels. There are two pages that are dedicated to Mr. WrestleMania, and they highlight all of Shawn Michaels' WrestleMania moments and its matches. There are six pages that highlight the WWE Hall of Fame, in which they they show all the inductees, and they have a brief sort of bio uh, for certain inductees, like Andre and uh, Buddy Rogers, Antonio Roca, the fabulous Moolah, Vince Sr., uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Paul Orndorff, Sherry, Dusty Rhodes, Mae Young, Steamboat, uh, Gorgeous George, the Legion of Doom, Shawn Michaels, the Four Horsemen, Bruno, and of course, last but not least, the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, and it's just, there's even two pages dedicated to Triple H, the evolution of the King of Kings, which a lot of people may not realize, but Triple H probably, out of all the superstars that have taken part of WrestleMania, has probably had the biggest transformation when you think of uh, his early days as Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and then when he was a degenerate with DX, and then his evolution, so to speak into the McMahon-Helmsley era, and then, of course, Evolution. And then even lately, uh, you know, his matches were with uh, The Undertaker, where he's a COO. I mean, he's really transformed throughout uh, his entire career. And you can sort of really see that in those, uh, those two pages that highlight him. And, of course, there are four pages dedicated to The Undertaker's undefeated streak, 21-0. and 0, And uh, the level of detail that uh, each WrestleMania has. If I could just go over very briefly, WrestleMania uh, 1. And uh, it's, just, it's just incredible because it, at the top of the page, it'll tell you the venue. It'll tell you Madison Square Garden, New York. and It'll give you the date, March 31st, 1985, the attendance record, the announcers who were present, the ring announcers, the locker room correspondents, the special guests, the celebrities, even the timekeeper, the referee, uh, the main event guest. I mean, it really goes into detail of everything that happened. And in the middle of the page, 
they have, of course, the event card and the matches that took place, and they have these bullet points that discuss the main event, the women's title match, the tag team title match, the intercontinental title match, and, of course, the uh, body slam challenge between uh, Big John Studd and Andre, and as well as the four remaining matches on the card. And uh, at the bottom of the page, there's a bit of backstory uh, going into the the creating of WrestleMania and how they had just about two months to really put everything together and to make sure it went off without a hook and how it didn't have, you know, there weren't really any TV or this wasn't a pay-per-view time yet. So they really had a lot of work to do in such a short amount of time, and uh, they had so much to do. And uh, from what I know, there's six pages that are dedicated to just WrestleMania 1 alone. And uh, like I said, page 2, you'll see a lot of focus talking about celebrities. Page 3, they show pictures of uh, Hulk Hogan training with Mr. T. On page 4, they'll talk about how Mr. T had a little heat with Rowdy Piper, and uh, as well as it just being one of the hottest tickets in New York at the time. Page 5, they discussed the battles uh, between Andre and Big John Studd. And, of course, uh, page six talks about the main event. And to compare WrestleMania 1, then I have to talk about WrestleMania 30. And you look at WrestleMania 30, which uh, had about ten pages dedicated to it, which is amazing. And, of course, WrestleMania 30 was at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans. And, again, they have a brief uh, where they talk about the announcers, even the French announcers, the Spanish announcers, the ring announcers, the Hall of Fame announcer, the guest host, uh, Hogan, and as well as the special correspondent. And, of course, the date and the attendance record. And, of course, the event from the Triple Threat main event, the Vicky Guerrero Divas Invitational, the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, uh, Memorial Battle Royal, the six-man tag between The Shield and the New Age Outlaws, and, of course, the three other remaining matches. In page one, they look at the the three legends in one ring where you saw Hogan, Rock, and Austin. I mean, one of the biggest uh, moments, I think, uh, in WrestleMania history is seeing these three legends, these three icons in the WWE and sports entertainment. And uh, page two focuses on Daniel Bryan and Triple H. And there's even a little bit discussing the WWE Network and how the WWE Network, their first major pay-per-view was WrestleMania 30. And uh, page three, talking about uh, the Shield matchup and uh, page four covering the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Page five and six were dedicated to the Undertaker and Brock Lesnar match. And uh, page seven featuring Cena and Bray Wyatt. Page eight uh, talking about AJ Lee and the Diva uh, Invitational, and page 9 and 10 focusing on the triple threat main event for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship title with Randy Orton, Batista, and Daniel Bryan, and it's just unbelievable. Each WrestleMania has so much uh, detailed information, and the photos are beautiful, and I should talk about uh, when they talked about the streak with The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar, which was something I didn't expect to see in the book, was they also covered uh, other superstars' tweets. They covered Twitter and all the shock responses from the fans and all these tweets, and they really updated this and made it so uh, friendly with today's uh, audience. And I just thought that was just a nice touch. I mean, what a phenomenal book, and it covers 
so much. I mean, there's still so much more I have to to look through, but, I mean, what a phenomenal book. I think this is just as good, if not better, than the encyclopedia because it's WrestleMania. It's a very special book. Uh, it's special to a lot of wrestling fans who just love WrestleMania. Anything WrestleMania-related, you're going to see there. Even uh, merchandise items that were being sold at the time from hats to T-shirts. I mean, they covered everything. I mean, what a phenomenal job. My hat's off to you guys. Well, yeah, I, uh, I I have to say, first off, it, it's great to talk to you again. Uh, thank you for the support in, in buying the book. And I'm, I'm so happy to hear how much you enjoyed it, and thank you for that, that wonderful rundown. Um, you know, I mean, this is a, a labor of love. You know, as you, as, as you guys on, on this panel know, you know, we're all lifelong fans of the business and love the business. Uh, for me, it's, it's a great honor to work with WWE and DK Publishing on something that is such a special project in terms of the 30-year celebration of WrestleMania. And it's, um, it's something that, you know, you just, you're, you're, you just feel honored to be a part of. Dominic, I believe you have the uh, encyclopedia book, right? I'm sorry. If I'm not mistaken. Do you, you have the encyclopedia book, right? Yeah, the encyclopedia I have, it's excellent. There you go. Yeah, you want to weigh in? in on that I didn't it. even remember happened until I looked through it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, you want to weigh in on the uh, WrestleMania 30 book? Yeah, I'll be getting it without a doubt. Because 30 years is a milestone. I can't believe 30 years has gone, come and gone that quick. Yeah. So many stars, so many WrestleManias. Too bad a lot of them have passed passed away since then. Guys like Eddie Guerrero and 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 Benoit. Well, Benoit did whatever he did, but you know a lot of guys that went to all those WrestleManias are gone, deceased, retired, and it's a good memory book. Like Bossman is gone, and Hercules is gone, and just so many guys are gone, and it's great to read about them because that brings you to memories. And did you include, uh, Brian, all those guys that are gone in the book? Uh, for 30 years of WrestleMania? Right. Right. Um, well, if if they if they had a match on a WrestleMania card, then, then they're included in the book. Yes, that is true. Yeah. Because yeah. you know the controversy with the Benoit situation, the... Uh, WWE kind of like left them out of their book. Uh, sort of left them out. It's just like, you know, when they talk about 20, they don't concentrate too much on that match. They just talk about the you know, uh, Guerrero match. Um, well, what they show on television is different from what they acknowledge historically in the book. What they see on television, they're not going to promote. You're never going to hear the WWE promote Chris Benoit unless there's new evidence that says he's innocent. For now, the fact is what happened, happened. So, of course, the WWE will not acknowledge it publicly, especially live on television. But in the historically speaking, the book does acknowledge Chris Benoit and the matches that he had. In fact, even if you look at the back of the book, at the index page in which they discuss 
you know, all the various superstars, what page they're in. If you look up Chris Benoit's name, it'll show you every page that he is on in the book. Uh, I can agree with you. Um, Brian, uh, give me your thoughts of uh, how, how long it took you to work on this book. Well, I, I worked on the book for a year and a half. Um, so that's a year and a half of research, writing, conducted over 75 interviews for the book. It was a, it was an incredible project to be part of. And, you know, when you write and you work on something for that long to then see it come to fruition where it's actually something tangible that you can hold in your hand. Yeah. Um, really is a very special feeling. Absolutely. Now, uh, the callers that are listening, where can they uh, get their hands on this book? 30 Years of WrestleMania is available wherever books are sold, uh, whether people like to go to their their stores, their bookstores, uh, to, to buy books, or if they prefer to go online. Uh, wherever books are sold, they they are carrying 30 years of WrestleMania. Okay, we were talking earlier about uh, Raw last night, and I'm sure you saw it uh, right here in New York. Uh, what was your thoughts? Uh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't get that first part. Uh, last night's Raw from Brooklyn, uh, what did you think of it? Um, well, I mean, it's it's difficult not to start right away with the great surprise of of The Rock, you know, returning to Raw, uh, coming to Brooklyn, which is, is just a phenomenal happening. And it, it's another reminder that you, you never really know what's going to happen on a WWE show, and especially on Monday Night Raw, you know, you, you never know what's going to take place. Um, I, I thought it was a good show. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of the uh, of an interview from Roman Reigns. Um, I think he's so popular and people are so behind him that I think they wanted to hear a little bit more from him. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, The Rock is just, that was a great, great surprise, and I've really been enjoying seeing Dean Ambrose come into his own. I feel like every week he's just getting better and better. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with the uh, train station. Dominic, uh, uh, what did you think of uh, Royal last night? Well, for the most part, I couldn't stand it, in all honesty. But the highlight was The Rock... All the mentioning of Brooklyn, all the mentioning of New York with the Rock's promo. Uh, Dean Ambrose on the train was great. Um, and, of course, the announced team mentioning that yesterday was the birthday of the living legend, Bruno Sammartino, 79 years old, I believe. Um, to me, the rest of the show was a throwaway. You know, it was your, it was your typical Raw. You couldn't wait for 11 o'clock to end. But the Rock coming out when he did made the show all worthwhile, and that's not even a full-time guy. And uh, Blackjack, what do you say? Of course, I, I agree with Dominic. Of course, 
you know, I love Hoda and I love Kathy Lee. Oh, me too, I bro. Think, I, I don't think the place was, was was there for them last night in the wrestling world. You know, uh, the, the midget match I, I could have done without. Yep. Um, yeah. what, what the hell was that, you know, going on there, you know? And then everything else, you know, they're pushing everything. And uh, you, you notice the, the the advancement of certain people in that organization. It, it's, it's it's a different world. It's a, it's a different product, you know. You know, I still I love the, the, the wrestling, but um, you got to deal with the entertainment factor part of it, you know, and that's why we've got the Joe Londons, and, you know, which was, which was great to see, you know what I'm saying, and, and her battle and, and, and their fight, you know, against the, the cancer stuff, you know, which is awesome, you know. I, I love all that, but I, I think they, they, they put too much, uh, they want the, um, the extremities of other avenues as far as the uh, um the, the the press, you know, the type of entertainment they are, you know, it's it's more than than, than wrestling. It's it's an entertainment. And 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 uh, Brian, do you see yourself um, coming out with a fourth book? Um, you know, I I don't know. I, don't I, I hope so. I hope right, so now, right now, the the priority is promoting the the launch of Thirty Years of WrestleMania. Um, I will let you guys know that. I am having discussions with WWE uh, talking about, you know, what's next, if there is anything next in the immediate future. So I hope that uh, by the next time I come on and speak with you guys that, that I'll have some good news in that regard. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, JJ, I want to go to you. Uh, you spoke briefly about it, but uh, Raw, Raw last night, uh, what's your take on it? Well, I, I do like to say that uh, I like that Brian called uh, uh, it a, a happening when The Rock showed up. That's something that you would have heard Gorilla Monsoon say back in the day. Whenever there was something special going on, he would always call it a happening. So I thought that was kind of cool. But uh, with Raw, I, you know, with Raw, there's ups and there's downs. And uh, the thing is, you know, you hear uh, Dominic and Blackjack uh, not entertained by the uh, Hornswoggle and El Torito. The thing is, there's a reason why WWE is PG, and the fact is you are not their target demographic. Their target demographic are, are those young kids, and there are kids watching that probably enjoy that, that are fun, and it's silly, and it's, for them it's enjoyable. Maybe to an adult male like us, Maybe it's not meant for us, but that's just the thing. It's not. This is the PG era, and this is targeting that PG audience. So there's going to be things that we don't like. That could be one of them because it's too silly. But then, as you mentioned, there's Kathy Lee and Hoda, again, two uh, great women. They came in. Maybe they didn't use them the right way. I think there is a place for Kathy Lee and Hoda in the WWE, but it's a matter of how you use them much like we saw that one pay-per-view in which they had that one country uh, rock band who were ringside and they were talking during uh, the Miz's match with Dolph Ziggler. I enjoyed it. I think they were used right. They didn't take away from the show. They were featured. They were talking, but the focus was on the wrestling. I think that's a great way to use them. And I just think, unfortunately, for Kathy Lee and Hoda, they were just kind of used the wrong way. The Brooklyn fans... Uh, Gave them a lot of heat, but uh, they did their best. They didn't let it uh, get to them. They just tried to have fun with Adam Rose and the Rosebuds. 
and that was just one aspect of the show. As we talked about, the thing with The Rock was very special. It was a huge shock and surprise. Uh, I checked social media Monday, and, of course, a lot of people are saying, oh, did you know WWE's in Brooklyn? And, oh, did you know The Rock is in New York City, too? However, The Rock had tweeted that he was in New York and he was working on business with Time Warner. I mean, he's a busy man. I mean, if you look at uh, the rock schedule, I mean, he's, he had the uh, Hercules movie that came out. He has uh, Fast and the Furious, which he just finished shooting. He's uh, supposed to be filming some San Andres movie that comes out next year. He was just cast in a DC Comics movie, Shazam!, uh, supposedly he was rumored to be attached to the new Baywatch film. He's going to be returning in uh, the third Journey movie. This is a very busy man. He even has an HBO series, uh, Ballers Coming. I mean, nobody expected him to show up on Monday Night Raw. It was a huge shock. In fact, there were even spoilers where there were reports online on dirt sheets saying that the script for Monday Night Raw did not include The Rock or Paul Heyman. And, of course, Paul Heyman was not on the show. But for the most part, all the fans watching just assumed, well, of course, The Rock's not going to be there either. And to everyone's surprise, when Rusev came out and he called out the big show, and when you heard Can You Smell What The Rock Is Cooking, Brooklyn erupted in one of the loudest responses that I've heard on Monday Night Raw in a very long time. I mean, it was deafening. In fact, by the time The Rock made it to uh, the ring and he was just standing there, the fans were chanting, this is awesome. They were chanting, holy shit. And he didn't even do anything yet. He didn't hit Rusev. He didn't even speak. He was just standing in the middle of the ring, and the people were going crazy. That is the power that The Rock still has, even as a part-timer, even though the last time we saw him was at WrestleMania 30 for that uh, intro, and before that, the last time we saw him wrestle was WrestleMania 29 against John Cena. Their fans love this guy. And even John Cena tweeted uh, afterwards, he, he said that uh, the ring missed you and uh, you never disappoint. And that was definitely one of those special raw moments that we will remember for a very long time. And uh, I, I thought the show, like I said, what they're doing with Dean Ambrose is great. Uh, as Brian said, they're really advancing his character, and we're seeing him really get into his own, and he's doing something really special right now that you just can't miss. Dean Ambrose is must-see TV right now, and that's exactly what the WWE needs right now. And uh, they're talking about any future books that Brian may or may not do. Uh, you got to look at a Raw anniversary, 20 years of Monday Night Raw, uh, SummerSlam, the Royal Rumble, Survivor Series. I think they'd be phenomenal books uh, if they ever get made, and I hope that you're attached to it. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, yeah, also I want to bring up with um, Raw... What did you think, uh, J.J., of uh, The Miz and uh, Sheamus in that match? <laughs> I am so glad you brought that up, King, because while a lot of people don't like uh, Damian Sandow being The Miz's uh, shadow and uh, imitating him and dressing up as Miz Dow, Damian Sandow stole the show, and he wasn't even in the match. People in Brooklyn were going crazy for that guy, and if you watched him, 
I mean, how could you not watch Damian Sandow? He was imitating everything that The Miz was doing in the ring with Sheamus. Every time The Miz threw a punch, Damian Sandow ringside threw a fake punch at the air. When The Miz would do a running clothesline, Damian Sandow would bounce off the barricade and do a, a running clothesline to, to thin air. I mean, it was it was ridiculous, but it was kind of ridiculous that was funny, and it had the people in Brooklyn actually cheering and chanting for Sandow, which was something that we haven't heard people cheer for Damian Sandow in a long time. A lot of people who thought that maybe this gimmick was stupid or silly well, apparently it got results last night because this is exactly what Damian Sandow has been needed. He needed to get the fans interested in him again because for whatever reason, after he won Money in the Bank and he was unsuccessful, I feel like the fans kind of forgot about him. The WWE just kind of threw him away, and now he's been doing this sort of shadowing with The Miz, and now it's becoming entertaining. The fans like it. I still would rather see them as a tag team in fact, I even heard uh, Lance Storm did a tweet saying, if you were to put them as a tag team, you would have The Miz come out and get pinfalls and victories, and you'd have Damian Sandow do all the work and get beat up and get pinned and lose matches. That would be the old school mentality of booking them as a team. But for whatever reason, they're not tag teaming just yet. But uh, so far, I'm very interested and curious. I think at some point, The Miz will have to address the fact that the fans are cheering for his stunt double instead of him. So hopefully this will lead into a really great feud down the line with uh, Sandow and The Miz, and hopefully it recaptures the audience and they start getting behind Damian Sandow because this is the boost that he needs right now. So uh, I'm very curious to see what they do next and how they handle it. But the, the match between The Miz and Sheamus, you know, it was a pretty standard match. It was, you know, good. Sheamus, of course, as we know, very hard-hitting brute. And uh, there was even one point where he did a bro kick to Damian Sandow in which the fans booed because they were loving Sandow so much that when when he got hit by Sheamus, you know, they, they kind of booed Sheamus a little. But for the most part, it was a okay match. But everything, the main focus, at least for me watching, was Damian Sandow. I could not take my eyes off him. Uh, Brian, why don't you weigh in on that particular subject? Well, I I, I couldn't agree more. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, Damian Sandow has been one of my favorites for a very long time. He is so entertaining, and and what he's able to do behind the microphone, outside the ring as a manager, he he is able to capture the attention and imagination of the audience in a very compelling way. And what he's doing now is, is absolutely hysterical. I look forward to it every week. I mean, even even after the pay-per-view, he came out, you know, The Miz had his intercontinental title, and Sandow had the replica, yeah. um, the, the, the kid's replica, which I thought was hysterical. Um, you know, guys, one of the things that's amazing to me when you watch Damian Sandow be so entertaining is it's important for people to remember that he was one of the, the, the last graduates of Killer Kowalski's wrestling school. So you know that he has the physical gifts and the tools from bell to bell, and now it seems like he's really mastered 
the entertainment part of what WWE does. So for me, uh, it's just a matter of time before before he's in a in a prominent role and and really regarded as as one of the top talents WWE has. Uh, Dominic, wants you chime in? Yeah, I'll tell you something. Sandow is really hysterical in this role. Even backstage, when when the Miz, I forgot who he was talking. Oh, he was talking to Kane when they brought in that bowl of fruit. Mm-hmm. And Miz is doing the talking, and Sandow was moving his lips perfectly in time with the Miz. He didn't miss a beat. And it's, 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 it was almost as if they were talking in stereo, but only one guy was talking. And it's going to wind up in a feud with the fans cheering the, uh, for Sandow. And I don't know. I, I think they went a little too far with it now. I think it's time for them to make Sandow into a baby face and turn him on the Miz. And if they're not going to make them a tag team, Sandow could be one of the most popular guys. I always liked him from day one. I think he deserves better than being the Miz's stunt double. But he's so hysterical at it that it makes you want to keep on watching. But I, I do think he deserves a lot better. Being a Killer Kowalski student, that spells it out right there. So we'll oh, see yeah. if it's, uh, you know, makes the future look brighter for Sandow because he was doing great for a while. Then WWE lost interest in him, and they tried to repackage him a couple of different times. Now it seems like they got this thing going with him being the Miz's stunt double, but that can only last for so long before Sandow becomes his own man again. Absolutely, and uh, JJ, I don't know if you noticed, he used the Ultimate Warrior's voice, uh, his final uh, uh, promo, and I'm saying to myself, where are they going with this? And then they uh, use it to promote the network. What was your thoughts when you saw that? Well, it's one of those moments where the first time that I heard that uh, video promoting the WWE Network and they talk about, uh, you know, every superstar and their last breath, I got goosebumps. It was one of those really uh, moments where I really was paying attention and I connected to uh, hearing the Ultimate Warrior's voice and seeing all those uh, images and just the history of the WWE. And, you know, of course, you can watch everything on WWE Network for just $9.99. And it was just really touching. And I know a lot of people might say, oh, well, the WWE took advantage of the Ultimate Warrior and, and that moment. But at the same time, that is a very special moment in which the Warrior talked about being immortal and that, that he was being remembered for the fans and running uh, wild and it's just it was a uh, it was really touching I thought and I didn't see it as uh, WWE taking advantage of uh, the Ultimate Warrior in his final moments I saw it as them paying tribute and keeping his memory alive and and doing that with that video it was a very special piece if you've seen it you know I I don't know how you could see that video and not be touched by it and everything that was shown all the superstars uh, from Steve Austin to Randy Orton to Cena and uh, you know Triple H and everyone that was featured in that clip, uh, Shawn Michaels as well, and Hogan and Savage. Uh, it was just really something that uh, even The Undertaker, I remember seeing clips of him in there, and it was a very special piece. So uh, I, I liked it. You know, I don't know if uh, a lot of others did, but it was something I thought was really cool. 
Well, it did catch my attention, that's for sure, seeing, hearing that and then seeing where they were going. But, uh, Brian, did you see it, A, and do you have the network? And if so, what do you think about the network? Uh, I did see the uh, the video promo last night for the network uh, using the the Warriors uh, speech, and I thought it was wonderful. Um, I really did. I, I think when it comes to vignettes, uh, promotional packages, uh, celebrating the history of WWE or uh, certain uh, certain superstars or personas that no one does it better than WWE's production team. So I thought that uh, last night's promo was wonderful. And I do have the WWE Network. Um, I couldn't be happier. I, I enjoy it through my Apple TV. I think it's a great user experience. I love the content on there especially being an old-school fan. Um, and I, I really like the the newer programming that has been made available. NXT is one of my favorite uh, things to watch, and I'm looking forward to more documentaries, um, looking forward to seeing where NXT is going. So, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of, of the WWE Network. Okay, you want to talk a little about TNA and uh, the upcoming pay-per-view, Bound for Glory? I believe they're going to stay on for the rest of the year, J.J. I want to go to you first on that. Uh, what's your thoughts about this upcoming uh, TNA pay-per-view in Japan? Well, you know, it, it's definitely something different, which sometimes, uh, you know, taking a risk, it can either pay off. Uh, hopefully for TNA, it does. It's a big risk to bring uh, a major pay-per-view like Bound for Glory over to Japan. But, uh, you know, they're being welcomed with open arms. They have this partnership with uh, the great Muda and Wrestle One. They're really looking forward to just having excellent wrestling matches. You know, normally they like to uh, say that Bound for Glory is their WrestleMania. It's their Super Bowl. It's their World Series. I don't know if I would say it's their World Series this year because normally when you think of a big pay-per-view like a WrestleMania, it's all about the payoff and it's all about having feuds either come to an end or few or new feuds starting from these matches. And I'm not quite sure what we're going to get and how many feuds are going to really be leading into Bound for Glory. And a lot of it is just a lot of mixed promotion between TNA and Wrestle One. But at the same time, like I said, we're going to see excellent wrestling. So uh, either way, I think I hope it pays off really well for TNA, and I, I know they're going to do everything they can. The talent, of course, is phenomenal. They always, you know, work tremendously hard. One of the hardest uh, working uh, talents in wrestling. So it should be uh, a very special show. And you know, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Dominic, uh, why don't you chime in? Yeah, I think it's going to be very special. Just when you think TNA is done, they come up with something like this. Doing a pay-per-view over in Japan with Muda and those guys and at the Korakuen Hall in Tokyo, I think it's going to be something really special. I think it's something everybody should get. It's something different. You're going to see TNA stars against the stars of Japan. You're going to see them intermingle in matches, and you're just going to see a lot of a lot of great action and a lot of guys maybe we're not familiar with, but that's how you get familiar by watching them, learning, and seeing who they are. And who knows? Maybe they'll bring them onto the TNA TNA shows, 
And maybe yeah. the TNA guys could get more work over in Japan, which is yeah. something that Vince McMahon won't let the WWE guys do, is go over to New Japan or whatever and put the WWE title on the line there at a house show in Japan. He won't let he won't let the guys do that. Back in the day, his father would bring in guys from Japan, guys from different promotions, even if it was a one-shot deal in the garden. He would always do that. And he would send guys like Bruno and Dominic Danucci over to Japan. And when American guys toured Japan, they're revered over in Japan. And I don't think WWE does enough for that. They, enough of it. They don't do it at all. Unless, Unless their whole their roster whole is on tour of Japan, then, then it's one thing. But for them to send three or four guys over to Japan, they, they won't do it. I think they should okay. do it in Puerto Rico. I know they do it with yeah. Los Matadores because they're the relatives of Carlos Colon, but they're the only ones that have that exclusive in their contract. Nobody else does. And they won't send guys to Mexico. Whereas when Jeff Jarrett was in TNA, him and Abyss always went to Mexico. So I like uh, the idea of intermingling the talent of of Japan with the talent of TNA, of the United States. Ryan, uh, why don't you chime in on that? Um, well, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to speak in general, guys, just because I, I don't follow uh, TNA all that much, but... Um, just as a as a wrestling fan, um, you know I they have a lot of a lot of great talent, and I I hope that they that they continue to stay on television uh, beyond 2014, and um, you know I I think that anything that they can do to to help that effort is is going to benefit the company. I mean I think. Um, what we've seen in the past from other promotions is that to to really be a company of a certain size that's not considered an independent promotion, you really need to have a, a weekly television program in the United States. So um, I just hope for, you know, the hardworking people that are part of the company that, that they're able to secure that for 2015 and uh, and beyond. See, Brian, what's going to happen pretty soon with TNA, they have an international deal with the UK and other countries like Malaysia and whatever, <clears throat> to 2015. We ain't got that here in the States yet. Right. You hear them that they're talking about different networks, but nothing's for sure yet, like Sting says. Nothing so far, nothing's for sure. Right. Uh, I feeling they're going to reach a deal with Spike somehow and just stay on there. That would be the best, hey, man. Chris yeah, Jericho has some words uh, on his uh, podcast one show, and he spoke about TNA and the possibility of it, of losing TNA, and uh, said some amazing things. Let's take a listen. Lots of talk about TNA, about how they might possibly lose their TV deal, or they're still in negotiations to resign. I have to say that I don't want TNA to lose their, t their TV deal. Uh, I think it's very important to have a, an alternative in any type of business, especially in the wrestling business. I think that the WWE has a tendency to get a little bit lazy 
when uh, there isn't somebody behind them. And it's not that TNA is directly behind them. It's not like the days of the wrestling war when it was Nitro and Raw and there really was a, a race. Obviously, TNA will never um, take over WWE. That's just because WWE is such a machine. You know, I remember when, when Hulk Hogan was signing with TNA in, in New York City, I believe even at Madison Square Garden. I asked Vince about it that day, and I said, does this bother you? And he said, hey, listen, even taking myself out of the equation, he said, TNA can sign whoever they want. You can't, you can't beat the WWE. It's such a machine. And this has nothing to do with me, Vince McMahon. He said, you can take uh, you know, any, any type of company, any type of star, and the WWE machine will eat them up and chew them out and spit them out. And he's basically right. I mean, you can't compete with such a, a monstrous a monstrous, momentous, you know, corporation like the WWE as far as trying to take them over. But you can still have a good secondary alternative. And when TNA first started, I bought their pay-per-views every week when their model was they do a weekly pay-per-view, even though it was insane. It was actually quite funny because Raven would always call me, and I uh, would always wait until Raven was on TV to call him back because I knew he wouldn't be there. <laughs> I knew he wouldn't be able to answer his phone, so I used to wait till the live TNA shows were on and then call Raven. Hey, man, I called you back. Too bad you couldn't answer the phone. And then he'd call me back as soon as he was done with his match, and I wouldn't answer the phone. But I've been a fan ever since those early days. I remember watching AJ Styles and the Flying Elvises. Remember those, the Flying Elvises? That's talking about the early days of TNA. <laughs> you know, um, I still uh, was a huge Samoa Joe fan. Um, I think Sonny Siaki was in there. Ken Shamrock was their first champion. There was a lot of uh, early times with, with TNA. And then, you know, once TNA, they, they got a deal on, on Fox Sports, I believe it is, and then finally ended up getting a deal on Spike TV. Does about a million people, give or take a, you know, a few hundred thousand every week. Uh, it seems like it'd be, you know, uh, it's one of the highest rated shows on Spike, but for whatever reason, they haven't renewed TNA yet, and they're still wondering if they're going to. I mean, I think TNA at a certain point in time had a real good niche for themselves when they had were doing the X Division uh, and those matches that they had in that X Division with Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian and, you know, Loki was in there and uh, Petey Williams, uh, Eric Young. There was, there was a lot of really good high flyers. Jeff Hardy, I remember Hector Garza was there for a while, God bless his soul. We're putting on these amazingly cool, uh, uh, you know, Chris Saban, Alex Shelley, putting on these cool X Division matches that were really standing out, kind of the junior heavyweight Matches that were always the highlight of the show, and then for a while, the, their knockout division with Gail Kim and Awesome Kong was in there. Um, they were putting on just these amazing matches every week that were must sees. And then TNA kind of fell into a trap that WCW fell into. Instead of trying to be on their own, they started becoming WWE light. And I think that's when they kind of started losing their their way and losing uh, a little bit of their direction. So unfortunately, here we are now where, where there's a chance that TNA won't have their deal renewed by Spike TV. Rumors are, one of, there's two reasons why. Uh, one is that they don't think that the product is cost efficient for the amount they pay for it. And two, I guess TNA lied to them about Vince Russo being involved with the company. And um, it was a really weird situation where I guess TNA told Spike TV that Russo wasn't in the company anymore. Then Russo sent an email that was supposed to go to TNA employees, but went into a, a, a wrestling dirt site that made it over to Spike TV. And there's a big kind of a lack of trust issue. And my thing is, you know, Vince Russo was the guy who brought me into the WWE, and he was my biggest fan right off the bat. But why would they lie to Spike TV about Vince Russo working there? Spike doesn't like Vince. Vince is just one guy. It's like, let him go. See you later, bud. You know, we got to keep this company afloat and to keep him on kind of under the table sounds like a kind of a weird idea and 
you know, I just hope that TNA survives. I want to see them survive. I love Bully Ray. He's been on the show before. Uh, great performer. I think he's killing it there right now. One of the highlights of the show. And they've had so many big-time names that have been on that, uh, you know, from Flair to Sting to Hogan to Bischoff. And, they can't, you know, RV, RVD, R. Van Damme, uh, you know, Booker T. They brought in so many of those type of guys. And none of them really uh, moved the needle in the direction of, of making the show bigger and, and, and drawing them more money. So, I don't know. It just seems like if they could just focus in on who they have and just really um, don't worry about what WWE is doing, don't worry about what anyone else is doing, just worry about TNA, that they can make it more of a viable product and make it stand out and make it uh, make it worth its while, which... Like I said, I watch the show from time to time. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. But the last thing I want is for them to go out of business. So Spike TV, if you're listening, re-sign TNA. We, we, we can't lose them. Without an alternative, uh, it makes everybody complacent and everybody lazy. Plus, it's bad for the fans if there's only one place to work and bad for the boys. It's bad for me. You know, I, I want TNA to exist because you never know. I mean, Vince McMahon could, could fire me tomorrow and say, I never want to see you again and I never want to work with you again, Jericho. And then what am I going to do uh, when I want to wrestle, if I want to wrestle? So uh, we hope TNA uh, succeeds in their um, uh, renewing of the contract. We hope Spike TV does that for them. And I hope all my brothers uh, in TNA and sisters, some that I know, some that I don't, will still have a job and a paycheck. So good luck to TNA. Words from uh, Chris Jericho. I want to start with you, JJ. Uh, what's your thoughts on what you just heard from Y2J, Chris Jericho? Well, Jericho, very candid, you know, speaking very honestly because, you know, what Jericho said, I think we all agree with. Nobody uh, wants to see TNA fail, nobody wants to see TNA go out of business. Even the, the biggest critics of TNA that I see on social media and say that, oh, Dixie's running it into the ground and TNA is going to be out of business. Even those negative people that are out there on social media and tweeting and, you know, blogging, all that stuff, I would like to think that even they don't want to see TNA go out of business. I mean, so many of uh, our favorite wrestlers have been there, are there. So many, we're discovering new wrestlers, uh, like Dominic said, we're introduced to these uh, Japanese wrestlers, which is great. And uh, there's just so much new talent, and that's it's, that's really what it's all about, discovering new talent and, you know, seeing these guys create their own special moments, just like the WWE has their own moments, their WrestleMania moments, their uh, great Raw moments. We want to see moments like that from TNA that are TNA, that aren't just, uh, you know, copying WWE or whatever. I mean, even eventually WWE might recycle an idea or two and do something they did years ago and just do it in today's present day. So doing a storyline that's copying WWE, I mean, eventually we've seen it all. I mean, is there really anything that new that's been done in the past, you know, 10 years in wrestling? Eventually it's a wrestling match. It's a square ring or in TNA's case, a six-sided ring. There's pinfalls, there's submissions, there's tap-outs. There's, you know, cage matches. There's no last man standing matches. These are all things we've grown accustomed to over the years. There's not a lot of new things you can do. But with TNA, they do have a great talent. It's nice to have an alternative that's not WWE. If you don't like the silliness of WWE and their PG rating, you don't like the fact they don't show blood, then you can watch TNA. You can see what they're doing that might be different from WWE. Even if it's WWE light, it's still something different it is an alternative 
And, uh, you know, what Jericho said about Raven I thought was hysterical, how he was calling him while Raven was out live, and, you know, wrestling, just so he wouldn't have to talk to him. I thought that, that just kind of cracked me up a little. But, uh, you yeah. know, they do have such a great talent. Uh, from You mentioned Ken Shamrock, who was the first uh, NWA TNA champion. Guys like R-Truth, who was a world champion uh, in TNA. And I do remember the early days of Fox Sportnet, and I believe it was uh, every Friday in the afternoon, and you could catch uh, TNA. And they really tried to legitimize uh, wrestling, and they even had time limits awesome, for matches. And they they really took a lot into effect to make it you know a different experience. And of course, having the six sided ring was very special too. But uh, just the X division, the X division reminded a lot of us of the cruiserweights of WCW, and these guys were doing phenomenal things. Speaking of the phenomenal AJ Styles, guys like Alex Shelley and Saban, and uh, as even Jericho mentioned, uh, Hector Garza, and just uh, so many talented individuals, Jerry Lynn, uh, uh, you know, so many guys who just created so many moments that the X Division matches were almost bigger than the world title matches that they were having, you know, that Jarrett was having with, either Jeff Hardy or so-and-so. I mean, the X Division matches were those must-see. I mean, they were doing things that I've never seen before. It was just amazing. And then the knockouts. You know, I remember I told the story once before where I got an opportunity to meet Gail Kim, and I told her, you know, your matches with Awesome Kong, they reminded me of, you know, Bret Hart and Yokozuna. You know, they were just really great matches, and they just had great chemistry together. And, you know, she was flattered. She, you know, said thank you. So, you know, uh, props to Gail Kim, a very nice lady. But, uh, you know, there were so many great things that TNA has done that a lot of fans just tend to focus on the negative and they just try to, you know, beat uh, the same story to death, so to speak. But, uh, you know, we hope that uh, they remain on Spike, you know, as you pointed out, to the end of the year. Hopefully they come back. Uh, Hopefully another network picks them up and they stay in the United States. As Dominic pointed out, they will be – uh, on, they will have networks on, you know, overseas in different countries. So that's good that TNA will have to be able to produce shows and have it be seen somewhere. But uh, it does suck for us, you know, who live in the United States. And, you know, we're wondering, will they get a network? Will they, won't they? And we don't know. It's all sort of up in the air. There's nothing confirmed. Nothing's for sure. And for us fans, it's kind of scary because we don't want to stop watching TNA. We don't want TNA no. to go away. So, you know, it's, no. it's just, uh, it's in a situation with Vince Russo that he brought up, you know, do you blame Vince Russo for making the era? Is it Vince Russo's fault? You know, Vince Russo was hired by TNA to do a job. If you hire me to do a job, well, you know, I like to eat too, you know, I'm going to do the job. So he was just doing his job, you know, whatever happened, happened. Uh, you know, you can't blame Vince Russo 100%, whether Spike is mad at them for Russo. He's just one guy. At the end of the day, it's a product, and if Spike really wanted it, they would keep it. They wouldn't get rid of it for one guy. So, I, you know, that that's a touchy subject that I'm sure a lot of people have their own take on, but I don't blame Russo. At the end of the day, it's up to Spike and whether or not they think that TNA is worth their time and money. We know that WWE 
didn't uh, get the television deal that they wanted with USA Network. But at the same time, well, at least they're on the USA Network. The USA Network picked them up. So hopefully Spike either picks them up or another network does. And hopefully this will not be the end of TNA. As Jericho said, TNA started out as a weekly pay-per-view every Wednesday night, and they've really come a long way from Fox Sportnet every Friday. And then eventually when they came to Spike and they were on Saturday night, and then from the move from Saturday night to primetime on Thursday, and now they're primetime on Wednesday. I mean, they've gone through a lot of changes, and they're still here. And hopefully they're not going to be they even tried going head to head with Royal for a couple of weeks. It didn't work, but uh, that night when uh, RVD won the title, uh, they put the they went head to head with Monday Night Raw a couple nights. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember, and uh, it was something just to get a buzz because you know everyone says, "Oh, I missed the Monday Night War." That was the greatest uh, time in wrestling history when WWE and WCW were going head to head. And I believe Dominic has pointed out that while it was great for you know maybe the WWE and WCW, they were number one, they were trading the ratings back and forth. But for us fans, it sucked, man, because if you were a WWE fan, you were watching WWE, so you were missing what was going on on Nitro. And if you were a Nitro fan, you were missing all the great stuff that was happening on Monday Night Raw. So it was very difficult. You had to pick one show and maybe record the other one. So it was it was very tough, you know. It was It was a great moment, yes. But, uh, you know, it was a very exciting time. There were moments, surprises that you just can't even replicate. But uh, And I think TNA, they just wanted to recapture that. They wanted to get fans talking. They wanted to get people buzzing and switching between shows. And maybe it wasn't as successful as they hoped it would be, and it didn't lead to something bigger. But, you know, like I said, TNA, they're open. They're experimenting. They're trying to see what works. And, you know, I give them a lot of props for that, for taking chances. You know, sometimes the risk doesn't always pay off, but uh, they're not afraid to do whatever they can to survive and get better for it. Absolutely. Dominic, why don't you weigh in? Yeah, J.J. is right. You know, with the with, with the Monday Night Wars, I hated that. And not, not just if you were a WWE fan, that's what you watched, or if you were a WCW fan, that's what you watched. If you were a wrestling fan and wanted to watch both of them, that yeah. was a killer. You watch one, tape the other. Then you got to watch the other one. And I would have rather have on one hour, uh, two hours on one on one network with WWE and two hours on another network with WCW following it. Start 8 to 10 and then make the other one 10 o'clock to midnight or whatever. This way we wouldn't have to bother taping one, watching the other, and going through all that. We'd be able to see two promotions, one right after another, only on different networks. And when they stop that, you feel like a relief almost. Like, good, I don't have to run into the bedroom and pause that tape. I don't have to run into the living room and switch tapes. It's like we got a chance to watch both of them. Now, TNA, I thought they were really on their top. When they started doing the Aces and Eights routine, I thought that was great. But when everybody lost their mask, it seemed like they were lost, like they didn't know what to do next for a while. Then they picked themselves up again, and they brought Gunner back. Uh, We got Sam Shaw, who was new. Um, Granted, they got rid of some guys that they should have kept, like Chavo. They should have kept Hernandez. They should have kept a lot of those guys that are gone. 
And they stopped when Hogan joined them. They stopped doing a lot of the X Division stuff. Because with Hogan there, they were just doing heavyweight stuff, and he was involved in a lot of it. And that's when it started to go downhill a lot, because we know Hogan, he's a businessman, he's out only for himself. But when they were doing the X Division, like Jericho mentioned all them names, and so did did, uh, J.J., all them names back in the day, Petey Williams and Sanjay Dutt and all them guys, Black Machismo, Jay Lethal, all the X Division stuff, Motor City Machine Guns, unbelievable. And it wasn't about um, a certain weight. It was about any weight. So that's how come a big guy like Samoa Joe could be part of the X Division. Now you got Austin Aries. Aries right now is one of the top guys there. But do you remember yeah. when he yeah. was there the first time? Yeah. He was Austin oh, Aries, and then they were calling him Austin Star for a while. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah. And the weekly pay-per-views, I used to love those. You never know who was going to stop in. Yeah. And for two and a yeah. half hours, only $15, you can't beat it. Uh, Yeah, what was that, on Tuesdays, I think? Yeah. Wednesday. Tuesday night? Wednesday, Tuesday, oh, Wednesday, whatever, yeah. Yeah, wasn't was Steamboat and Ken Shamrock part of that at one point? Yeah, yeah. I know Ken. Ken yeah. Shamrock was yeah. the first NWA champion. He was the first champion. Yeah. yeah. Ricky Steamboat was the special uh, referee, and he was there, and he held the championship for Shamrock. So it was cool to see Steamboat. As Dominic said, "You never know who was going to show up." As much like with The Rock uh, yesterday in Brooklyn, you didn't know if Raven was going to show up. You didn't know if uh, Tommy Dreamer or the Sandman or New Jack or some of the ECW guys would come in once in a while, or some of the even WCW guys would would show up. So it was always a very exciting time in the early days because you really didn't know what you were going to get. Even Dusty Rhodes was there back then. You know, I forgot who was the top tag team back then, but I remember them interviewing Sandman, and Sandman had a partner, and they lost. Then Sandman had another partner the week after, and they lost. And I remember Sandman cutting a promo backstage. He says, next week, I'm bringing Balls Mahoney. And Balls Mahoney was a part of part of that. I remember one week yeah. during the weekly ta- um, live pay-per-views, God rest his soul, Moondog Spot. And they said, Moondog Spot's here. Where did he wander in? And he had the Moondog outfit on. And he said, oh, I, don't, I don't know. He must have been just walking in the backyard. <laughs> where the uh, where the rides were, and he wandered in here. He didn't even have a match. He just walked around, glared at the fans, and just kept going. So he didn't know what was going to pop up. When The Rock Moon showed up on Raw, I had read that day that The Rock was in Brooklyn, but don't put any ideas in your head that he's going to be at Raw because he's not scheduled. And then when his music hit, and he mentioned Jeter, and he mentioned the trains, and all the boroughs, the crowd went went ballistic. I tell you, no matter where you live, you love your city, you love your town, you love your hometown teams, but New York fans are crazy. New York fans were wild last night in Brooklyn. Yeah, they did. Great I want to go to Brian. And uh, Brian, I know you, TNA is not really your thing, but what do you feel in terms of what uh, Jericho's 
said uh, in terms of what Jericho said about uh, having TNA uh, and keeping them on TV? Well, I mean, I think what he said was was right on the money, and I, I think I think it's echoing what what we're saying here on the show, and what what fans are saying online, and and what people that work within the industry are saying also, that they they want the company to succeed, they want the company to stay on television, and that securing a a new television deal for 2015 and beyond is is critical for for it in order for the company to continue operating. And, I mean, it seems like everybody really says the same thing, that they, they want it to succeed and that it's great that there's that there's more than one company. And and I, I think everybody agrees with that sentiment. So hopefully hopefully we'll we'll see that happen. Brian, no I'm not question. sure where you live. Do you catch World Wrestling Council from Puerto Rico, and do you catch uh, CMLL from Mexico? I, I see. Uh, I live in Queens. I, I see CMLL. Oh, and, okay. Uh, I'm Queen, Queens, on, New York um, too. On, um, I think it's Telemundo or Univision on Sundays. Um, I don't catch WWC, um, though I've I've seen it over the years. You got Time uh, Warner. No. Oh, okay. No, but yeah, the, World uh, Wrestling Council actually has three shows: twelve noon on Saturday, twelve noon on Sunday, and eight a.m. on Sunday. Yeah, I wanna I wanna check that out because you know, guys, we, you know, we talk about WWC, and I mean, Carlos Colon, uh, who got his start in in Vince McMahon Senior's WWF, you know, he uh, he has had a relationship with the McMahon family since those days, so. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's amazing that he's been able to continue his own promotion in Puerto Rico for so many years, and he's I mean he's a legend on the island of Puerto Rico and in in the entire Caribbean and and also in Japan. So, you know, I, I'd love to check out some of the newer uh, episodes of of WWC programming for sure. And CMLL, of course, you can catch 5 o'clock on um, Azteca America. They're not on Gamevision no more. And now they got this Lucha Libre Underground coming up in October on the El Rey Network. And they got a lot of Lucha talent. They got a lot of American talent on there. I think it's supposed to debut, I don't know, toward the end of the month, I think. So... That's Absolutely. that's available on uh, on on Time Warner, the El Rey Network. Okay, Brian, yeah. I want to thank you for joining us uh, tonight, so, and I do want to to go over uh, your book uh, one last time. Uh, uh, also, you did work with the uh, video game uh, last year, right? You did uh, work with Two uh, K, uh, right? I did. I, I had the uh, the pleasure of working with the development team at WWE 2K on WWE 2K14, and I was able to do that again this year for the upcoming WWE 2K15 video game. So anytime I, I get to work with 2K Sports and the developer visual concepts, it's always a, a great honor for me, especially as a gamer. Uh, they do phenomenal work. 
And, you know, King, I can't thank you enough for having me on. It's always great to come on here and, and be part of the panel. Yeah. Um, 30 Years of WrestleMania is in stores now. It can be found wherever books are sold. It is the only book that you'll find on the history of all 30 WrestleManias celebrate the matches as well as taking people behind the scenes. Uh, as far as uh, me and social media, I can be found on Twitter at It's Brian Shields, as well as on Facebook as Brian Shields. And I'm going to be talking much more about the book and behind the scenes and making of and all that kind of good stuff. So, guys, I'm going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to step out of the ring here. Uh, it was great talking to everybody. And King, thanks again for having me on. Just want to get one last story from you, Brian. The best part of the uh, new video game, uh, WWE, uh, was the one that you uh, just recently worked on. Well, I have to tell you, uh, I would definitely go to their website to check out all the information. Uh, the career mode is phenomenal. And, of course, you know, being an old-school fan, I mentioned him a little earlier, but the fact that Sting is in a WWE video game officially is very, very cool for a lot of old-school gamers and old-school wrestling fans. Um, the commercial that WWE and 2K have put together for that occasion is tremendous. So there's going to be a lot of great stuff on WWE 2K15. Brian, before you um, step out, do you think Sting is going to ever have a match in the WWE um, I don't know if he's ever going to have a match, but I, I have to say, and I, I just always go back to my opinion as a fan, I, I hope so. Yeah, um, amen. I, I think uh I think he's a, a great athlete. He's had an amazing career, and I think the, the talent that's in WWE and uh, and everything that they can offer I think he still has some some great matches left in him, and with the roster today, there are a a number of of great opponents for him. So I hope so. Good. Okay. Thank you, guys. Okay, Brian. Thank you for uh, joining us. Okay. Uh, Brian, it's a pleasure, yes. bro. Yes, and uh, of course we'll definitely check out his book. As JJ uh, once again, you do have it, right? That is right. It is awesome. You definitely have to pick it up. Uh, as Dominic said, if you have the encyclopedia, you have an idea of the level of detail that they put in their books. And WrestleMania 30 is exactly like that, except it is all things WrestleMania. So it's it's definitely a real treat. Okay, uh, I want to get to this clip. Uh, take a listen. Bret Hart, uh, was he a part of the Monday Night Wars? Let's take a listen. Ben from Winchester, England. I was watching the Bret Hart episode of the Monday Night War, and one of the topics covered was WCW's misuse of Bret post-screw job, holding back on bringing him in, immediately sticking him in the NWO, and all the terrible WCW booking. I was wondering if there was any reason for holding Bret back. Hogan, possibly concerned his thunder would be stolen. And you can can you think of any other major cases of a company completely misusing talent or wasting an opportunity the way WCW did with Bret Hart? Well, how about WWE bungling the single biggest angle ever handed to them on a silver platter in the invasion? Does that count? Because that would be at the top of my list as far as bungled storylines. 
Uh, as far as have they ever mistreated anybody else the way they did Brett, you know, I would kind of throw Ric Flair in that category. And I think it was off and on. I mean, they would go through these periods where Flair would be the champion and he would kind of be the top guy, but then he wouldn't be the champion. And, and that's fine. He doesn't have to be the champ, but they would treat him like garbage. And then we knew the animosity with him and Bischoff, and then they did these storylines where Flair was in a mental hospital and he got buried in the desert somewhere. Just all this nonsense. For a guy who really should have been put up on a pedestal and held in such high acclaim as your all-time great world champion coming out there in a suit, you know, and, and they just made him into a joke. And when Hogan came in, and look, I mean, Hogan knew he could work against Flair and he could beat him every single time. Uh, practically every single match they ever had in WCW, with few exceptions, I think, Hogan always beat Flair. And he would no-sell Flair's offense, and Flair was made to look like a complete and utter joke. So I think their treatment over the years of Ric Flair was just horrendous. That's not how you treat a guy like Ric Flair, who was the, the franchise of that company. You know, this, this all-time great world champion was reduced to being a comedy character. I mean, that, that to me, that's, that's pretty inexcusable. And with Brett, I, you know what? I don't know what was holding them back. And I think Bischoff in interviews, may, maybe he even admitted that they could have handled things a little bit differently. No shit. No shit. You had this guy, Bret Hart, coming off the hottest, it wasn't even an angle. I mean, some people think it was. But, you know, the hottest story in wrestling was the screw job. Everything was about what happened in Montreal. At that point, even though he was the one to get screwed, there was no hotter commodity at that point than Bret Hart. So Bischoff should have had this plan in his head. Hey, listen, this guy, you know, he may not be this hot for that long. We've got to take advantage of this. We've got to capitalize on this. Whether that means immediately injecting him into the uh, you know the, the program with Hogan and Sting. Probably not the time for it, just because you had been building Hogan and Sting for like a year and a half. That should have just been able to play out on its own, let Sting win the title at Starcade, and then maybe you can go right into a Sting-Bret Hart feud from there. Uh, you know, the, I'd have to sit down and think about what was going on back at that time in 1997 in WCW, but, you know, Bret, they held him out because my understanding was that Bret was still under contract to WWE until the beginning of December. Uh, I think his contract was to expire a little earlier. He went to Bischoff and said, listen, can I get an extra week? And I think Bischoff was going to give him an extra week because that was when Brett thought the plan was he would drop the championship at the December in your house pay-per-view, possibly to Steve Austin. Obviously, that never happened. But Bischoff did grant him that extra week. So I don't know precisely the date the contract was going to expire. They may not have been able to use him on television right away. Uh, but even when they did, you know, putting him as a referee, I think, for Eric Bischoff's match against Larry Zbysko, whatever the hell his role was on that pay-per-view, was, was completely ridiculous. And then the way they used him was completely ridiculous. I agree. I'm sure Brett agrees, too. I mean, th this notion that and you mentioned the Monday Night War thing, and I wasn't going to talk about this, and I don't want to go on too long about this, but I will say, people have asked me, have you been watching the Monday Night War? I have not. I saw the first episode, and then I didn't watch a few. I did watch the Bret Hart one. <clears throat> it was well produced. There was some good stuff in there. But when it came to their narrative of what happened in Montreal and the whole screw job, and Vince really didn't have any options, and this guy's going to show up on TV with the belt, and we can't have him do that, and all this, all of this nonsense, all of this fiction, I just, I was like, I've seen enough. If this is how all the Monday Night War episodes are going to be, then you know what? I don't need to watch them. The whole thing was fiction. 
and again, I, I don't feel like going into the whole thing right now, but uh, you know, if you've read the accounts of what actually happened in Montreal from the people who were covering it at the time, and even things that Bret Hart himself subsequently has said, uh, it just doesn't match up. I mean, it's a nice story for WWE to tell that Bret, Bret put them in such a position where they absolutely had no options at all whatsoever. Vince, his back was up against the wall. All of this stuff, it's just not true. It's just not true. I mean, there was a whole scenario that Vince himself had pitched to Brett to try to smooth things over, and Brett had agreed to it. And then when he went back to, to Sean and Triple H, you know, because Triple H was in Sean's ear at the time, and Triple H told Sean, under no circumstances at all are you to agree to lose to Brett. Because in his mind, who does this guy think he is? He walking out with the championship? We can't let him go to the other show. That's ridiculous. And Triple H put this idea in Sean's head. And so Sean listened to him, and he was like, no, I don't agree with that scenario, which made Vince look bad because he had just pitched something to Brett that Brett agreed to. Now he's got to go back and tell Brett, well, Sean doesn't want to do that. I mean, there were so many little things that happened that just were not talked about that never get talked about by WWE because it's their spin on things. Uh, it just pissed me off. So I just had to mention that here. Uh, if you watched it and you enjoyed it, like I said, it was well-produced, and it wasn't you know, 100% fiction. There was certainly some truths in there, but they told the story they wanted to tell. And if all the episodes are that slanted, then I won't waste my time watching every single one of them. I'll pick and choose the ones that I want to watch. Please, I want to start with you. Give me a take on what you just heard. Yeah, I actually uh, agree with, with him. You know, I've only seen a couple of the Monday Night Wars on the WWE Network. I haven't seen all of them yet. I haven't seen the, the Bret Hart episode yet. But from what I gather, listening to what he said, it seems that it was very uh, WWE destroying their propaganda. Of course, it's a WWE produced show. So, of course, they're going to ha- be promoting and looking to the eyes of the WWE. And the WWE's back against the wall. And they had to do this. And Bret was going to you know, bring the title to Nitro, much like uh, Alondra Blaze, uh, Medusa did, and she threw the women's title in the trash. I mean, I don't imagine in my mind that Brett would have done something like that. I don't think that would have ever happened. I don't think he would have ever done that. Maybe Bischoff would have pitched the idea to do it, but I don't think he would actually have done it. I truly believe that Brett was loyal to the WWE for as long as he, he was there, and like they pointed out, there were lots of little issues that people don't know about. And the the heat and hatred that uh, Brett and Sean had was very real. And these guys, you know, they didn't want to work together. Sean didn't want to have, didn't want to drop the title to him. And then, you know, Brett said, well, if he's not going to want to have a rematch from WrestleMania 12 in which, you know, Brett gets the title back from Sean, then why am I going to drop the title to him now? So, they didn't want to work together, and they didn't want to do this. Brett was going out. He was the champion. He wanted to go out on top. He was in his home country where he's very loved and respected. He wanted to go out a different way. He didn't have a problem dropping the title to anybody else. It just wasn't going to be Sean. And, of course, you know, we all know what happened. It's history. There's uh, so much that, you know, went into it, lots of little details, like I said, you know, Brett, of course, when he went to Nitro, he should have been, you know, when he went to WCW, he should have been the hottest commodity there. 
I mean, you know, what happened in WWE, that was huge. That was something a guy literally got screwed on live pay-per-view between, you know, hundreds and thousands of people watching. And, you know, this wasn't a script. You know, whether you choose to believe that or not, that conspiracy, this was very real. And it was something that, you know, whether it made Brett bitter, whether, he, you know, it changed him, uh, whether WCW, how many times did you hear stories uh, you know, we often joke about the WWE today and how the WWE today misuses talent. And we all know the stories back then where WCW misused a lot of talent, a talent like Bret Hart, who really legitimately in my mind is, again, I'm biased. You know, I might be a little opinionated because Bret's my favorite wrestler. You know, he says he's the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. And I believe that. And I don't think that anyone could disprove that, at least to me, when he was in the ring, I never saw a bad match. And he did have matches with Ric Flair and Randy Savage and Book and Goldberg and so many other great superstars. And they could have been so much more. They could have been so much bigger. How many matches did he have in the WWE, even if they weren't the top guy in the company, and they were phenomenal matches, they were phenomenal storylines going into it, uh, matches he had with Diesel, Bob Backlund, Shawn Michaels, even his brother Owen Hart, uh, The Undertaker, so many uh, incredible matches and feuds that we remember like you wouldn't, like, uh, you know, they were so special at the time in WWE, and yet in WCW, you know, what was Brett's big defining moment there? I mean, did he even have one? I mean, sure, he was the United States champion, which was great. He had matches, uh, I think, with the Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, he was the world champion. He won the WCW title, I believe, at least two two times. And uh, it's just he could have done so much more. He could have been spotlighted so much more. But for whatever reason, WCW, they had other people and politics played into it. And it's just a shame because we missed out on what could have been uh, a lot better wrestling and, and moments for WCW. And who knows if that could have made a difference and WCW could still be around if guys, not just Bret Hart, but guys like Bret and guys, young guys like Booker T who could have been spotlighted better and done more. And uh, it's a shame we didn't see that. He even mentioned a guy like Ric Flair, 16-time world champion. A lot of people compare Ric Flair to John Cena only because John Cena is a 15-time world champion. He's very close to tying Ric Flair's record. A lot of people will say that John Cena's titles don't even compare to any of Flair's titles, and Flair's titles have so much prestige and history. And yet, people forget, you remember Ric Flair's 16th uh, title win, his 15th, his 14th? He was world champion for maybe an hour, a week, there were so many uh, misuses of Ric Flair towards the end. They didn't know what to do with him. They were screwing him out of the world title with Kevin Nash, with Jeff Jarrett. They didn't know what the hell they were doing with Ric Flair. And it's a shame. And that's a case uh, with a lot of the talent in WCW. It's just one of those things where, you know, WCW, they did what they did. For whatever reason, if it wasn't on the agenda, if it wasn't what they were pushing, it just wasn't going to happen. Much like this uh, Monday Night War with Bret Hart, the WWE is, of course, going to tell their side. They're going to put their spin on the situation, and they're going to look like the victims. So it's kind of a one-sided thing. So I'm not sure if I'm that eager to see it. But, of course, if it involves Bret Hart, I'm definitely going to tune in. But, 
it's hard to be that excited for something when you know WWE is going to put their spin on something to make themselves look like the victim. So that's the only thing that's very uh, hard to see. And if they do that with the Bret Hart story, I can only imagine what else they're doing with the Monday Night War series and what other things that they are turning in their favor. And that's something the fans don't want to see. They want to see something that shows the WWE and WCW in an equal light that represents both companies well. And I don't know if we're getting that. Uh, Dominic, what's your take? JJ, very good points, bro. When Bret Hart left here and went to WCW, I never saw a greater caliber guy be misused so much than in the days when they were misusing Flair. I mean, it was unbelievable. Flair, Flair and Bret Hart being misused, they should always be at the top of the, at, at the top of the food chain. They should always be, like they say, the flavor of the month. That's, yes. Those are two legends that defy profession. That when you look up the word pro wrestling in the dictionary, you see Bret Hart, you see Ric Flair, you see Bruno, you see Stone Cold, you see The Rock. I look up under wrestling, I don't see Eric Bischoff there. Eric Bischoff isn't wrestling. No. I don't see none of the authority-type people there. I don't see Triple H there. I don't see none of those people. I see Brett. I see Jericho. I see Rey Mysterio. I see Pedro Morales. There's a lot of guys that I don't see when it comes to wrestling. One guy that they totally misused in WWE was Goldberg. If they such a standout in WCW, undefeated, coming in, Jack Hammer, um, inhaled the smoke, spit, snarl, snort, whatever he was doing. WWE didn't do anything with Goldberg, anything different. And when Goldberg fought Brock Lesnar, people couldn't wait to get out of that arena. They were shitting all over the match because they knew both guys were leaving. So they didn't give a damn. They wanted to get in their cars and get out of there to beat the traffic. <laughs> Uh, no question about that, and uh, yeah, I gotta agree with you. Uh, Goldberg uh, definitely not used uh, to his uh, most credible. Um, they did use Goldberg one time, just once, good in my opinion, when they had that white boy challenge thing with Teddy Teddy Theodore Long uh, oh, would bring out a yeah, and then uh, back at. Back about 10 years now, in the garden, had that white boy challenge, and uh, Goldberg uh, responded to it, and he got one of his loudest WWE pops, and uh, that was a big difference. Then, uh, first of all, Goldberg came in, and they put him up against uh, a very popular rock, so that was a hard situation. They they just didn't do it right. They just he he was booked to lose. Uh, Bill Goldberg, in my opinion. And uh, same thing with Bret Hart in WCW. It was a travesty uh, what talent they had in WCW at some point. And definitely misused a lot of the talent. Not all, but uh, a lot of the talent was definitely misused. Uh, A lot of people would say Rey Mysterio was misused. In WCW, Eddie Guerrero was misused. Uh, Bret Hart, like I just pointed out, was misused. 
But, uh, you know, like one thing I will say, though, is that uh, Kurt Angle and Bret Hart would have been uh, a five-star match in the main event at any WrestleMania, JJ. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, I think we talked about it before. Kurt Angle has said it many times. He has been wanting to wrestle uh, Bret Hart. And even Bret Hart said, you know, if he were able to, it would definitely be a, a match that he would do, you know, without a doubt. You know, Bret Hart, Kurt Angle, two of the best of different generations. You know, Bret, uh, the grappler, the technical wrestler, and of course, Kurt, an Olympic gold medalist. I mean, my God, does it get uh, any more genuine and real than that? Those guys uh, would have just put on a instant classic, a match that we would be talking about for years and years. I mean, we we, we got something very close. We got Angle uh, and Benoit at WrestleMania, which was a, a really another classic. But uh, I think Kurt Angle and Bret Hart, wow. That, to me, would be a, a lot like seeing, you know, uh, Rock and Hogan. Granted, Rock and Hogan was more of a sports entertainment aspect of the two generations. But seeing a Bret Hart and Kurt Angle, two generations, putting on a wrestling classic, that would have been something for the ages, as far as I'm concerned. That'd be a clinic, a match they, like that. Yeah. You know, you would think they would have did that, but they couldn't. Yeah, a match like Never that, hurt. a match like that, all the young guys would have to bring their clipboard and a pen and take freaking notes, because that's the only way you're going to learn is watch two two legends like Kurt Angle and Bret Hart go at it. How could that be a bad match? It couldn't. And I think hold for hold and 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 move for move. They would complement each other's style so much that it would have to go to a draw. I don't see I don't see any guy getting the the better uh, you know the better hand in the match. I think those two guys are very equal. Unlike Rock and Hogan, yeah, like JJ said, is is more of the entertainment side of it, not mm-hmm. the stuff that you could write a wrestling book about hold for hold. No. You'd be able to write something like that about a great TV show to have to have them in there doing that. But for a hold-for-hold technical-style match, Bret Hart and, and, and Kurt Angle would be un- unbelievable. Unbelievable. I think it would turn out, like, if you remember WrestleMania 13, Bret versus Stone Cold, I think it would be that times 10. And that match oh, yeah, is terrific. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, and Brett bleeding and this and that. And that would be one for the ages. I want to wait on get... with you guys. What do you think about a match between Bobby Lashley and uh, Brock Lesnar? Oh, wow. Well, for me, I mean, yeah. if you're a wrestling fan, not just a WWE fan, but a wrestling fan, and you watch right. WWE programming. point of view and you watch TNA, and, of course, you know Bobby Lashley. Even if you're a WWE fan, you know who Bobby right. Lashley is. He right. has a you know what Lashley w- is. You know what he can do. Mm-hmm. But the fact and is, a lot of people... Sort of. He's going to like, with Donald Trump. Remember that? Well, for a year when he fought Umaga, yeah, and then if he lost... That yeah, was, that was stupid. Here's another instance when of he wasting was, a guy. But the only thing... The only way that I would put Brock over Bobby Lashley, Brock seems to have a killer instinct about him. Yeah. That oh, yeah. He's a scary son of a bitch. 
And oh, yeah. I wouldn't say hello to him the wrong way. I think Brock Lesnar, <laughs> if he pats you on the back, hello, he's going to he's he's going to break a shoulder bone. Bobby Lashley oh, yeah. is kind of laid back and more relaxed. Brock Lesnar looks like if you fought and it doesn't smell good enough to him, he'll kill you. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens if, uh, if that match ever took place. But uh, the Lashley that's in TNA uh, is much represented better than the one that was in the WWE. So if you if you tell me that one, I would probably say a draw, uh, the one in TNA. But if you're saying the one in the WWE, uh, Lesnar all the way would win that match, in my opinion. Yeah, if it happened in WWE, I think they would give it to uh, to Lesnar. If it happened anywhere else, the killer instinct of yeah. Lesnar might might win. But if it happened in TNA, I think they would do it. You know, I think they would do it. Make uh, put Lashley over. Absolutely, and we were talking about but this. Way, I wouldn't fuck uh, around with either of the two of them guys. <laughs> No, I would if I actually have a bad like day, uh, one swaggle could kick my ass, and I and I ain't kidding. <laughs> and uh, this has nothing to do with anything, but Lashley has a beautiful little wife that he got was at the uh, Manhattan show. Oh my and, god! And uh, beautiful kids. I'll tell you uh, something. I if if he put Sable on the line, I would beat the balls off of Brock Lesnar if if I could win if I could win Sable. I don't know where I get Sable the power from. I don't know where Sable I get the power from. Maybe I have to go to Mount Olympus where Superman found it, found the power. But but he's talking about Sable of now. or talking about Sable of 1998. Sable anytime, brother. <laughs> he is so fucking hot. <laughs> Amen to that. Brock Lesnar felt no. like retiring from wrestling. He could spend the rest of his living days in bed with that doll. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no problems there with that one. But uh, Batista was a guest on the uh, Jericho show, and he talked about getting fined uh, in a match when he was bleeding. Let's take a listen and then talk about it. What was dealing with Vince and uh-huh. you and I? Happened here in Tampa. We, oh, uh, God. How crazy was that? Yeah. This is, this is, Do you uh, want to tell the story? Let's tell it. <laughs> let's tell it. I wrote about it in my book, so yeah. people are going to hear about it pretty yeah. soon anyways. But So we're in Tampa, right. and uh, the idea was I was the world champ. I had a lot of heat mm-hmm. had, with the fans, like mm-hmm. as a big heel. Right. And we did the, what was it called, Taboo Tuesday or uh, Cyber Sunday. Yeah. And the idea was that, that the fans would pick the referee. Right. And Vince said to me, listen, we want to put Dave over because we want people to know that when they invest in this pay-per-view right, that their right. opinion counts. Right. But you'll win it back. We'll give it right back to you. The next week in Tampa. Right, right, right. Cage match. Right. So right. we get to the Tampa for the cage match. <laughs> right. Which was, we had a great match. Yeah, we did. It was a great win. I was, you know, uh, of course, you know, you were going over and, you know, we knew how you were going over with them. And I just thought, you know, this was a point where we weren't we weren't shedding blood anymore. Yeah. You know, it was, no, we're PG. <laughs> And I just didn't want to hear that because it made no sense to me, especially when there's a title match involved. And yes. I was just still, you know, it was still instilled in me that when you get hit over the head with a metal pipe, 
you know, you bleed. Because <laughs> we were in a cage, too. When we were in a cage, yeah. it was like, you know, this is, it just made sense. And so I decided. Yeah, the finish was that I was I had some kind of a brass knuckle or a pipe on yeah, top of the cage. Yeah, it was a pipe cage. that you reached off the top of the cage. And you were going to powerbomb me off the top rope, but I but grabbed the pipe me, and right. hit you with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so I ended up, you know, I, I did what I thought was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I shed a little blood for, for, for business and. Uh, of course, I got hard weight <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, I think I'm we ble- tried to we tried ble- to master <laughs> overcompensating. Yeah. yeah, so I'm just kind of bleeding all over the place. <laughs> but yeah, so we. <laughs> but let me say, let me yeah. say this though: it was a really good match. It was a great it was match, a man. Good, good, it was good a great match. match. I remember there's some great stuff in there. It was. I can't believe that we had to deal with grief over that, man. We did. Right. You know, what kills me too is you know I got, of course, you got the big fine. Well, let, 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 let's slow down a bit. So okay. So, <laughs> We come back through the curtain, and we've had this great cage match. Mm-hmm. And was, like you said, I, I, as the heel beat Batista for the title, right. come back through the curtain, and then there's a lot of yelling and screaming going on. Very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable <laughs> because Dave had, 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 you know, there was some blood involved. So Vince said, uh, I'm not going to talk about this with any of you guys. Right. I'll see you next week, and I'll decide <laughs> what your punishment is. No, I called him on the way home, uh-huh. and I called him. Uh, so you like, weren't very nice about your, your phone call, were you? Well, I was like, listen, Vince, you know, I'll take responsibility for it, but right. this match was great. Like, right, I'm right, a vet, right. and he's like, shut up, yeah. F off, I don't want to talk right. to you, I'll talk to you next week, go F yourself. And, but <laughs> the call was 18 seconds long. <laughs> that was it, boom. So we have a whole European tour. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we got to worry about what's going to happen on right. Monday. Oh, man. So yeah. do you remember Monday? We, TV finishes, yeah, and they lead man. us into the an office. office. <laughs> yeah, so, we're, yeah, so they've got this monitor set up in front of a mirror, and we're sitting down like <laughs> three kids in trouble with Vince pacing behind us. Yes. He has like a toothpick in his mouth. Yes. <laughs> Is it me, Dave, uh, Dean, who was Dimalenko, who was the yeah. producer of the match, yeah. and Mike Kyoto, who was the ref, yeah. and, yeah, and Johnny Ace. Was, Ace was in there, right? Yeah, so Vince is pacing back like the detective and we're <laughs> being interrogated. Yeah. And then they start playing the playbacks in slow motion with the highlights, like it's a space, like the, the, the alien. Yeah, like, the, like, like real UFOs. Here's right. the UFO, and they show the little white circle uh-huh. in, the, in the right corner where you're supposed to look to see where the UFO is in the sky. Right. That's what they had around oh, Batista's man. hand and Batista's forehead. And, slow motion. Yeah, slow like, motion. We know what we did. <laughs> We know what we did. What's uh, what? What's the consequences? Do you remember there was a camera angle from like uh, the back of the arena that uh, I've never seen before? No, where did that camera? It was come like from? a secret. Like that. That's why like, it was you never, Big Brother. It was the Big Brother camera. It was. Yeah. You never pick your nose in the arena because no. someone's always <laughs> right. So yeah, they they they, they should, like like Dave just said over and over again, slow motion. Here it is one way, and here it is another way, and here it is another way, and it's like, like you said, we get it. There's blood involved. We did it. Uh, now, you had told me earlier in the day that I'm going to get some blood, get some color. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, listen, man, you know, whatever you want to do, right, right. just, you know, whatever. Right. And I didn't really get much more into it than right, that. Right. So I kind of knew but didn't right. really know. Yeah, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't have fallen on you. It was kind of, you know, it was my choice and it was me kind of being rebellious. Mm-hmm. I knew we weren't supposed to do it, but to me, I was just... It just felt like the right thing to do, and I, I was really kind of a little bitter about the way the direction mm-hmm. we were going with the company. I wasn't on, I wasn't on board. I right. wasn't a part of the program, and so I was being a little rebellious. And I knew I 
would get consequences, but I thought I would get the consequences, mm-hmm. and uh, and I didn't think they would be as harsh as they were. <laughs> so, yeah, so Vince is there, and he's like, I could fire you, but yeah. that uh, would be too easy. <laughs> yeah, right. So he said, yeah. tell him what he said. And he starts passing out fines, and uh, did he give you guys first? No, you were first. Was I first? Uh, so my fine was $100,000. <laughs> I will never forget that. I will never. My heart dropped, man, because I thought it was going to be like twenty-five grand. I thought that was going to be like a harsh, like, and I knew it was going to sting. And when he said a hundred grand, I was just heartbroken. I literally think that he sucked the life out of me that day. That's when really? I really. I th- I think that's the day that I knew I was. You know, this things were never going to be the same. Wow, yeah, interesting. Just, We've never really talked about this. No, before. I just it really because I felt like I did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I did what was good for the, I I didn't I did the right thing I did well, you know it was good business mm-hmm. it was what it was this was the stuff that was instilled in us that we were supposed to do this is what makes our business special this what makes us a, you know a brotherhood we do this for mm-hmm. for our company we do this for our fans and he just literally sucked the life out of me by punishing me for doing that mm-hmm. you know I it just it broke my heart it broke my heart. Yeah, I, I like I said, that's we've never talked about this, and that that really, I couldn't believe when he said that. Yeah, I couldn't. A hundred grand, and and I honestly, from my perspective, he came to me next, and it was like the angel of death, like in Jericho, because he said, and none of you even called me, and I was like, I called you. Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> He's like, well, none of you even called me, but you. And so when he was handed those fines, I think I would have. I don't know if I would have got yeah. the hundred, but yeah. I think I would have got. Yeah. But he ended up. He's like, yeah. and you, five yeah. grand. Right. And I remember I almost started yeah. laughing, like yeah. five grand. I was like, what are you smiling? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> and he fined Dean yeah. five grand, yeah. Yeah. which, you know, those guys will make a lot of money. That Dean, hurt, man. Hurt Dean, and then Kyoto five grand, too. Yeah. And like I said, man, I, w- I will say this. As man to man, gained so much respect for that day because you paid everybody's fines. Yeah, but you know all of ours. what really broke yeah. my heart is 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 Dean because he yeah. was the one guy he didn't he knew nothing, nothing. about he it. He literally knew nothing. He about knew it. nothing about it, man. He's and it just. Yeah. And Vince was on his case like he should have yeah. known. You should know about these guys. Yeah. Like, how how would he know? It's uh, that really sucked. That really hurt me. Mm-hmm. Dean's a good dude, man. He Great did, guy. He yeah. didn't he didn't deserve and he that. He didn't know. He didn't had no idea, man. He got punished and. I felt like I stabbed him in the back, and he, he didn't deserve mm-hmm. it. It just it really sucked, man. And, and like I said, that's probably the biggest fine I've ever heard of in my life. It was so ridiculous, man. And it was to prove a point. And mm-hmm. It was just it, it really did. It broke my heart, man, because I just felt like that was I did I did what was right, man. I got mm-hmm. punished for it, and I just that's and that hurts I, too. I mean, I don't care if you're Donald Trump. A hundred yeah. grand is that's, that's a lot of that's a lot of money. Yeah, I don't know, man. So, and that was kind of the. the some bold words from uh, Batista and Jericho, JJ. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember uh, we we played this I think once before, and we talked about it. And I'm always very surprised by Batista because you know I, I wasn't always uh, a, a big Batista fan, but I remember hearing this, and uh, it really surprised me. It surprised me on uh, just his attitude in general, and just that. Uh, you know, he loved, much like a lot of us, a lot of people say, oh, we love the Attitude Era, and the Attitude Era was so great. And he's a guy that he loved the Attitude Era. He didn't like the new direction of the PG Era. And he didn't like the fact that he's in a match. It's inside a steel cage. I believe this match happened maybe uh, November in 2008. And uh, it was in Jericho used a foreign object. I don't know if it was a pipe or brass knucks. And he punched Batista 
in the head with the foreign object inside a steel cage match, and Batista did what he was taught to do and when he became a wrestler. Is, you know, you're in a cage match, you get hit with a foreign object, you bleed. That's just that's wrestling 101, you know, that's back to basics. And, you know, he bled during the match, and to hear that, you know, Vince was yelling and screaming and throwing a fit, I mean, I understand this is the PGR I understand that, you know, the whole point of it being PG is there's no blood. There's no swearing. You have to bleep it if they even think about doing anything. You can't show certain suggestive uh, things anymore, and I understand that. But, I mean, come on. I think he overreacted. I mean, sometimes you could, what happens during a match uh, when Brock Lesnar uh, took on John Cena and he elbowed him in the forehead and Cena was bleeding? Are you going to fine Brock Lesnar $100,000? I mean, sometimes accidents happen. I mean, that one wasn't with Batista, but, I mean, come on. In the ring, anything can happen, and you can't uh, hold these guys accountable for live television. You know, anything can take place. And uh, it's just sad, but what a class act by Batista. Not only did he pay the 100 grand, my God. I mean, five grand. I mean, if you find me $20, I would shit. But 100 grand, I mean, Jesus. (laughs) I mean, and not only did he pay the hundred grand, but he paid Dean Malenko's five grand. He play, uh, he paid Chris Jericho's five grand, and he even paid the referee Mike Kyoto's five grand. I mean, wow, that is one classy guy. I got all the respect uh, in the world for Batista after something like that. I mean, wow, it definitely makes me look at him differently. And oftentimes, when we see a guy. We just see the guy who's on television. We don't know the man behind the character. So uh, it was a very uh, insightful to me to, to hear this story and to you know hear about Dave Batista, the man, and not just the sports entertainer who we see on television. So it was it's pretty cool to hear stories like that uh, that Jericho does with various superstars, with uh, guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin on his podcast. So it's very cool to hear these stories. It's a very in-depth and surprising and it's a very uh, eye-opening. Uh, what's your take on it, Dominic? Yeah, I remember you playing that clip. Batista the man way different than Batista the the sports entertainer as JJ would say. But I always liked Batista. Batista was always one of my favorites. And 1A, exactly right. You're in a steel cage. You're going to bleed. That's another thing that turned me off from WWE, the new rating system. You can't bleed. Austin, don't give the middle finger no more. You're in uh, the the match with the, where you're in the pods and the glass breaks. And you don't get cut open on the glass. You get hit with a table. You don't bleed. You're in a cage match. You don't bleed. That's not really a cage yeah. match. Cage match is supposed to rake the guy's head across the across the grating until he's busted wide open, till you can't see his face, like Mick Foley back in the day, like anybody that was a bleeder, Ric Flair, Tommy Rich, Abby, the Sheik. Any of those guys that bled, Brody, Stan Hansen, Bruno, Pedro, any of them guys that bled profusely, as they used to say. And now you can't you you, you can't have blood. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's really tough. Yep. Uh, the way with the elbow to my Brock Lesnar to Cena, accidents happen in the ring. You can yeah. have an accident and fall on the ring steps and 
open up yourself on the on the ring apron. What's McMahon going to do? Find a guy for tripping? <laughs> I'm sure he would if he could. Yes. Um, yes. But, uh, that's a different uh, uh, next. Uh, it's an interesting story. You know, it's interesting. Uh, in the video game, WWE 2K15, there is an option for blood. So it's amazing to me that you can play the video game and have simulated blood, but you can't watch the actual programming and see blood. I feel like oh, that no contra- shit. Oh, my God. Doesn't that contradict itself? Yep. Hundred percent. Unbelievable. All right, we're just about out of time. Where'd Blackjack go? Uh, his his phone is actually was was causing the echo. Uh, let me bring him back and let's see if maybe it it stopped. But uh, that Blackjack with us? Yeah. How are you guys? Great show. Can you hear me? Well, yeah, I hear you. I don't know what it is. It must be the signal here. Yeah, you need to go again now. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys, that my uh, phone gave problems, but um, maybe next time uh, it will all be corrected. Sorry, brother. Ah, no problem. That's all right. No problem. No problem. No problem. Now it sounds like Joe McHugh. Now, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) <laughs> okay, before we go, uh, can you uh, give us the good old birthdays? And, uh, nah, I don't feel like doing it. Nah, I ain't doing no birthdays. Uh, All right, okay. today's wrestler's birthdays. From Brooklyn, the bodyguard for hire. We also got Brazo, Brazo de Oro from the Brazo family in Mexico. Long-standing feud with the Volanos for many years. Uh, we got one of my favorite lady stars. We don't see her no more, Malaya Hosaka. And we also got Rhino. Uh, celebrities, we got John Cougar, Mellencamp, Yo-Yo Ma. We got Bobby Brown, Oliver North, Tony Braxton, Simon Cowell, and Joy Behar. And the day in wrestling history, October 7, 1987, El Gran Mendoza defeated Hurricane Castile Jr. in Catano, Puerto Rico to win for the second time the World Wrestling Council Junior Heavyweight title. And that's that. That is that. And uh, thanks also to Brian Shields. Uh, Definitely check out his book. Uh, 30 Years of WrestleMania, it sounds like a uh, a good one. Uh, JJ, you know firsthand, uh, as you said, uh, really in-depth stuff. So uh, make sure to check that. Yeah, just a great book. Uh, Thanks, guys. You guys take it easy. It's always a pleasure hanging Blackjack, King, Dominic. Take it easy, guys. Yeah, likewise. JJ, okay. you too. King, have a good yeah. week. Blackjack, have a good week. Okay, take care, everybody. And uh, we will speak to you uh, next uh, next Tuesday. Don't forget, also, next uh, October 16th, for the first time, CNN HLN anchor Joey Jackson joins first forces with Tom Mesereau as uh, they will be on the show for the very first time uh, ever. 
uh, that will be on October 16th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. West Coast Time. Okay, folks, uh, up until uh, next Tuesday, we will speak to you uh, next time. So uh, thanks for joining us here, as always, on the King Jordan Radio Show. Good night, everybody.